pretty much if you're on this earth and you eat gluten, you're at risk. If you were born after the year 2000 and you lived in a house that was built after 1984, which never had any water exposure and you were not nursed and there's no mercury fillings anymore and you're not eating a lot of sushi. If you fall into that really winnowed down group, then you probably don't have heavy metals because you're not getting exposed as much as people who are older. That's Dr. Wendy Trubo. She's the author of Dirty Girl, Ditch the Toxins, Look Great, and Feel Freaking Amazing. She is the president of the National Celiac Association. And as you have guessed, this episode is all about gluten sensitivity and toxins, how we live our lives surrounded by toxins, how we consume toxins, how we're exposed to toxins in our mouth, in our homes, in the products that we use. And in this conversation, we talk about some pretty eye-opening details about how gluten works inside of our body. There's one thing that blew my friggin' mind, and that is every time that you eat gluten, the tight junctions in your intestines actually open, and that's when things can move in and out of the linings of your gut. And if you are constantly eating gluten, then those linings will be constantly opened up. So we talk about gluten sensitivity, her experience and exposure to gluten, and what sort of issues that created for her. She told me that she, if she eats off somebody's fork that touched gluten, she's like knocked out for six hours. And this is inconvenient, I think, for a lot of people, myself included, because I like gluten. <laughs> it tastes good. But I'm realizing more and more that if I want to live optimal, I've got to make some sacrifices. And I think gluten is a really good place to start because I know that I feel better when I cut it out or at least drastically reduce the amount of gluten that I have in my system. Uh, in this episode, we cover a ton of great stuff. We talk about how 40% of humans have one or both of the genes that lead to celiac disease. We talk, we define celiac. We talk about how stress and trauma can actually activate gluten sensitivity leading to celiac disease and downstream from celiac disease is autoimmune disease. This is uh, some harsh truths here, but really important stuff to know. She is also a gynecologist, so she works predominantly with women, but the information in this episode is astounding. I just want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for being here and for being open to learn all sorts of new things about how you can live optimal because that's what it's here for. It's here to help you learn. I also wanted to say thank you to our sponsor for today's episode, which is the X3 Bar. 10 minutes a day, six days a week, it will change your life. You will be stronger. You will be leaner. I talk about it all the time because I absolutely love it. It's, it's $50 off if you go to x3bar.com and use the code OPP. And it will be the last piece of exercise equipment you will ever use in your life. So many of you have purchased this from their sponsorship and the episodes that I've done with Dr. Jayquish. It works. It's hard for 10 minutes and then it's done. Your workout's finished for the day. So go to x3bar.com and use the code OPP. You'll thank me later. Trust me. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Wendy Trubo. Welcome everyone to the Optimal Performance Podcast. My name is Sean McCormick. I'm a life coach, performance coach, wellness entrepreneur, and it's my pleasure to bring to you every single week the world's leaders in the field of performance so that you can live your life at its most optimal level, plus cutting-edge ideas so that you can stay ahead of the curve in an ever-changing world. Let's dig right in. 
And we're here with Dr. Wendy Trubo, author of Dirty Girl. Dr. Trubo, Wendy, welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Thanks, Sean. Nice to be here. I know that we're going to get along just fine in this conversation in our witty banter before I press the record button. It's, <laughs> it's, it's nice to have you. I've already, just, I've already ex- explained to you that we've been talking about celiac uh, in my house for days and days and days now. And you go, why? <laughs> it's like definitely not functional, like definitely not that interesting if you're not into it. Yeah. Although I'm the president of the National Celiac Association. So for me, it's a passion play, but no one else is like, let's talk about celiac. Yeah, right. Like, why? <laughs> let's talk about farts, you know, like, here we go. Right. Well, let, let's start there because I, I definitely want to get into uh, toxicity, women's health, mold, heavy metals, all that stuff. But I think celiac is kind of an interesting place to start because I I may in fact be struggling with it. So can you, I think most people have heard that term. Can you explain what it is and the work that you do uh, for the association? So think of it like a spectrum and not the autistic spectrum. Okay. So think of it, celiac is the end result. Celiac is the, the autoimmune condition in which you have blunting of the villi, which are these lovely finger-like appendages in your gut that absorb minerals and nutrients. But start at the beginning. About 40% of the population has one or two genes for celiac. Those are, they're called H, they're on the HLA subtype, human lymphocytic antigen, and that's DQ2 or DQ8. If you have one of them, you have a you it, one or both. You have a, ris- a risk of developing celiac, which is that autoimmune endpoint. But long before you hit the autoimmune point, you can have problems. It's not like flicking a switch, just like diabetes. It's not like you go, "Oh, I'm diabetic today," mm-hmm. but yesterday I was totally fine. It's something that starts from, "Okay, I have no problems with gluten or any of the grains." And then over time, because it's an exposure-based illness, you can go from being completely fine when you eat it to, holy smokes, when I eat that, I'm sick as a dog. But because it develops slowly, you might not recognize it. So it, it's, it's insidious and it creeps. And so by the time you've gotten to celiac, you have a full-on autoimmune disorder, but you can have gluten sensitivity without the autoimmune component long before that. I would mm-hmm. say I probably had the gluten sensitivity for 15 years before I was diagnosed, but you know, it was the eighties, nineties, nobody complained, kept my mouth shut and just figured everyone had a better cork or a better gut than I did. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's 35, I got diagnosed and I was like, oh, whoa, so that's what it's like. You know, it's not normal to have those things, but because they're slow, they creep up on you. So for celiac, it doesn't have to be gut, but it often is. And that can be anything, bloating, gas, diarrhea, constipation, irritable bowel, reflux, GERD, anything with a gut, it could be celiac related, or it could just be food sensitivities, imbalance in the microbiome, candida overgrowth. There's a lot of stuff. It could be other than celiac, um, but it can also do other stuff. It can give you brain fog. It can give you asthma. It can give you hair loss. It can do a whole, a whole bunch of stuff. So it's, it's kind of cool when you look at who gets diagnosed, but one of the hallmarks are mineral and nutrient deficiencies. Cause when you have celiac, those villi, which are like these little fingers that grab the minerals, they're blunted. So they're not doing their job. There's not as much surface area for, for the absorption to happen. And so essentially if you have 80% less area absorbing, you're not absorbing your minerals and nutrients properly. So if you are someone like I was, I had, iron deficiency from the time I was tested, which was when I was 15. 
and then vitamin D deficiency, all the B vitamin deficiencies. It's a miracle. I never got osteoporosis, but mm. those are all hallmarks of things that shouldn't be anemia. You know, you're, you're young and healthy. You said, Oh, my sister-in-law thinks I might have it. Well, if you have anemia or mineral nutrient deficiencies, I'd be suspicious, mm. right? Especially with your name. So anyone from Italy, which is not consistent with your name, but anyone from Italy, Ireland, or of Ashkenazic Jewish descent is at genetic risk. But it's so funny, the guy, I, I'm a wicked groupie of Alessio Fasano, and he's sort of discovered and shown that every group is at risk at this point. It mm. used to be thought if you were one of those three, you're at risk. But now it's like, pretty much if you're on this earth and you eat gluten, you're at risk. Yeah, It's not just limited to those three special people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, all, all of us know the, 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 you know, the the setbacks, the drawbacks, the sensitivities to gluten and gluten has now, now it's the, it's, uh, it's just the worst thing you can possibly do. And it's the, it's the antichrist, right? It is, it is right. Glyphosate and, you know, the fact that we're not eating heirloom, um, mm-hmm. grains anymore. So it's mm-hmm. just like Frank and wheat that we're eating, you know? So if I have this correctly, then, um, regardless of your genetic background <clears throat> there, there is a strong likelihood that if you develop sensitivity over time to gluten, which is in so many things, it's just, it's everywhere yeah. that if, if you just go puttering around your sort of typical diet, um, eating gluten here and there, you could go for 10, 15, 20 years before the end point, the autoimmune uh, right. response, which is celiac. Right. And, and, and that's not a guarantee, meaning mm. you could have some sensitivity and then get in a massive car accident, which creates like instant gut permeability, leaky gut, very traumatic. And you could develop celiac because you've had this traumatic event that sort of oversteps what your body can deal with. So it's not like everyone goes through that same progression. Usually when you look back and you say to someone, so, you know, was anything going on before you got diagnosed? People often say, oh yeah, I was really sick. Or I had a really bad semester or a really bad breakup. Something happens usually that clicks people. For me, it was residency, which I, I mean, I love women. I love taking care of them. I should never have been an OBGYN because staying up all night and working the next day is not what my constitution mm. is set up for. So I violated like the rule of honor your body. Some people can do it. And it's just not me. So mm. for me, I clearly remember being in residency and being like, oh, I'm not okay. Mm. I am not okay. <laughs> but, you know, again, if you weren't dying, you went to work. So I kind of ignored it for a little bit. Don't be like your doctor. Be better than your doctor. Yeah. Well, this audience is probably is chock full of workaholics and type A's and biohackers. And so you're talking to the right, the right people, men, men and women. Um, And also the fact that, that most of us are under more stress than we've ever been in our lives before across the, across the globe. Could that be a, an, an instigating occurrence of elevated stress and, Sure. Uh, sympathetic response that can lead to gut disruption and then down the road celiac. Yeah. I mean, for, even if you take celiac off the table, just being stressed will mess up your digestion absorption and how your gut functions. You know, who who's like, oh, I'm really stressed. Let me go to the bathroom. Every once in a while, someone will have that reaction. But usually when you're stressed, you like shut down and you don't poop. Most people like, oh, I get really constipated. I have one patient who says, if I have to leave the house in the morning, I'm so stressed. I have diarrhea all morning. Like, okay. Mm -hmm. But most of the time it's not like that. 
So just being stressed is going to mess up your microbiome. And then when you layer on, if you, he, okay, have we discussed that I'm like the bearer of bad news and I'm, I'm always <laughs> saying things that people are like, oh, oh. So if you have one or two genes for, for celiac, bear with me on this because it's kind of a deep dive. So in your, in your gut, you have these tight junctions. Your gut's lined by one cell thick cells stuck together, like just, just tight junctions. And if you have a gene for celiac, either or both or one, and you eat gluten, you upregulate these receptors, CXCR3. Like who named that, right? Mm -hmm. CXCR3 receptor will upregulate zonulins. Zonulins will cause the tight junctions in your gut to open. Now, if you don't have the gene and you eat gluten, you're going to open your tight junctions for like 15 minutes. But if you have the gene and you eat gluten, you're going to open those tight junctions for up to four hours. So now you layer on, like you're like, holy smokes. And when I say open the tight junctions, what that means is now where my fingers are is the lining of the gut and where my sort of heel of my hand is, is your bloodstream. So now you've opened up your bloodstream to all the stuff that passes through your gut, food particles, bacteria, mycotoxins, pesticides, Tox, other toxins, doesn't matter, right? You're absorbing it now because you've just opened the gate, basically rolled out the welcome mat for all the crap. And then your bloodstream goes, what the fuck is this? What is this, right? And you mount an immune response and it's an inflammatory immune response. So if you don't have the gene, you're doing that too, even when you eat gluten. But if you mm. do have the gene, you're amping it up. Now you layer on hey, you've had a stressful experience and you have sort of tendencies towards leaky gut. Then you layer on that you're maybe eating a standard American diet. What'd you have for breakfast? Cereal or a bagel? Would you have for lunch? A wrap. It was very healthy. I had avocado in it. Great. A wrap. Would you have for dinner? Pasta. Okay. So now you've basically opened up your tight junctions the entire day, wow. which is why you can have gluten sensitivity and brain fog and issues with gluten that aren't GI related because it's getting into the rest of your body and wreaking havoc. Wow. So, I've, never crazy, heard, right? I've never heard it explained that way. The fact that when you eat gluten, whether or not you have this sensitivity, it, your junctions open. That's yes. incredible. But it's worse if you have the gene. Right. So it's worth getting tested, like go to 23andMe and look to see like, do I have DQ2 or DQ8? They'll tell you super yeah. easy to figure out. And I like that it's out of the system because the, the underwriters for um, health and life insurance, they know that having celiac is a risk factor for early death from all causes. And so they know, and they're going to charge you more money. So don't do it in the system. If you're just sort of exploring, Wow! just get your data yourself. Good for you. Hey, look at that. That is such amazing, practical advice that man, that immediately Hopefully everybody, if you missed that, rewind 15, just rewind 15 <laughs> seconds and go listen to that again. Save yourself some, some serious money potentially. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to talk probably a lot about my sister-in-law who's in the, in the other room during this. She should come join us. You know, I, the, uh, the thought has uh, <laughs> occurred to me. I've never done that before. I've never like called any, you know, call a friend to help. But Surprise guest, you know? Yeah, that would be fun. Uh, one question that she asked, I said specifically, you know, what, what would you ask the good doctor? And she said, um, I'm under the impression that in order to get adequately tested, I have to eat a whole bunch of gluten and then go in and get blood work done. Is that true? 
so you have, so the, there, I think there are some tests being developed that will not require you to eat gluten, but the current, so let's, let's sort of decision tree this. If you're eating gluten and you're like, I don't feel well, and I don't know what's going on. It's worth getting tested before you eliminate gluten from your diet because mm -hmm. it's, a, it's an immune-based response. And so if you're not challenging your immune system over time, those antibodies go down. So ideally within six weeks of stopping gluten, you're going to want to get the test. And I always say to people, just get the test and then stop the gluten, mm -hmm. just so we're all on the same page. But if you're not eating gluten, uh, and by the way, there's an antibody test for celiac, and then the true gold standard is, a, is an endoscopy where they take a sample of the tissue and look at blunting or, or colonoscopy. You can get their, you get their top or bottom oh, through the nice. mouth or through the butt. Either way, <laughs> it's like you know equal opportunity. So either way, you can get that. It's a biopsy that shows blunting. Now, it's even really cool if you have a really progressive gastroenterologist, and I, I don't know how many of those there are, but if, if you have a progressive one, you can say, hey take a biopsy, even if it looks good. And there's some, I don't remember the name of it, some random stain for lymphocytes, which are white blood cells. Think of these like the mobilization of your army. Before you have the blunting in the villi, up to seven years before you'll have these white blood cells show up in, in the tissue sample. They're like your early harbinger of, hey, you've got an issue here. Mm. So you're not celiac, but you're on the spectrum. You're on the development path. Mm. You know, you're, you're developing it. And so if she's not eating gluten, then yeah, it's kind of hard to do a, a diagnosis because the current testing all requires gluten, which mm. stinks. And I, I would say if you eliminated gluten and you noticed a big difference, improvement, don't go back on gluten. Yeah. Right? Like why torture yourself for six weeks? You have to be on it for six weeks. So don't do that to yourself. Just, right. just go, okay, I'm somewhere on that spectrum. I'm definitely sensitive. Maybe I have celiac and leave it at that. Like you, unless you need the data, in which case go torture yourself. But hmm. I don't recommend that at all. That's helpful. That's really helpful. Yeah. Is celiac um, more damaging or more prevalent in women? Uh, it shouldn't be because it's not linked to the sex hormone. It's completely just random. So- um, I got a gene for celiac from both of my parents and I said to them, please, I really am so glad you only had one kid because you have the worst genes together. Like the <laughs> two of you uh, should not have reproduced. I'm glad you did, right? I'm here. But so uh, it's not sex linked. So it shouldn't be more prevalent in women. What you might note though, is, is like insurance companies love men because they never go to the doctor. So right. maybe it's more prevalent in women seemingly because they say something Sure. and they're not just going to put up with it, but it shouldn't be more common in women. And only like uh, out of the 1% of the population who has actually active celiac, like only 16% of those people are diagnosed. So mm. there's a huge under the, under the surface, it's only the tip of the iceberg, what we see for celiac disease. And then that doesn't include gluten sensitivity because it's that spectrum of 40% of the population has the gene. And so if they're eating it, they're, you're, you're, it's, you're exposing and increasing the likelihood. Oh, that's, that's it's pretty creepy. Yeah, man. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, the, the gut, I think we're learning more and more, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated by the last five years, I guess, of mm -hmm. understanding of gut health, you know, the connection yeah. with the gut and the brain, you know, the connection with the gut and um, your, you know, your serotonin production, your, your personality, like the, the fact that the gut is really 
just such a central part to overall health, your immune system, all these things. Yep. Um, I, I'm, I, I've, I've done a lot of episodes on it, but it, the work is we're, we're just getting started because there's so yep. much more to learn. If, if you had to, if you had to add any more information or insight regarding, um, regarding celiac or gluten sensitivity more generally, what, what would you share with people? Yeah. You know, I would say if you notice your gut, so my philosophy is all of the parts of your body should be invisible to you. You should not have any attention on a part of a body because it's bothering you. So if you have any disruption in, in the function of your gut, and what I mean by disruption, I mean, bloating, gas, diarrhea, constipation, seeing pieces of food in the toilet, reflux or GERD, any of that, that's a sign that your body is saying, hey, check me out. Something's not right here. It's not normal. Don't put up with it. It's fixable. It's totally fixable. Okay. Mm. The problem is sometimes those develop subtly. So then you don't realize like, oh, I really have some dysfunction here. It's not like flick. For most people, it's not like a flicking a switch. It's just insidious over the years you develop it. So my, my words are, if, if you notice your belly or if it's not invisible, just like your elbow is invisible. Nobody thinks about their elbow, right? Unless, you, unless you, like me, you dislocated it. Like I think about my elbow, but set mm -hmm. that to the side and go, most of the time you don't think about your elbow. Your gut should be like that. You don't notice it. Get up in the morning, poop, eat, poop. Don't have bloating, gas, diarrhea, and have beautiful poop, like, you know, pipes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just to get really graphic. That's perfect, though. That's vivid, <laughs> vivid. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that's a really good way to think about it. That's a really practical thing for people to think about now is if I'm aware of this thing, if it's, if it's ever, after every time I eat, or if it's every morning, or if I'm having yeah. this cramping and stuff, because I think a lot of people, they'll just put up with it. And then over yeah. five years, 10 years, they get to the point where they just think that that's normal because they forgot what it felt like to, yeah. to have normal digestion. Yep. And they don't, they don't make, they don't connect the dots to skin issues or brain fog or all these other things. And just sort of builds and builds. I'm like, what the hell's going on? It's like, well, there's, you've been putting up with, you've been putting up with terrible digestion for a long time and you're not getting yep. nutrients. Well, you said it's fixable. It's repairable. Can we, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that we're going narrow and deep with celiac because, you know, talking about shit is fascinating to me. So um, what, what can people do? What should they do? So I always say no, no woman's an island. I only see women. I, I, you know, I'm a functional medicine gynecologist. So right now I'm doing my functional medicine board soon. And I was like, does that mean I got to see guys? Like, I like women. No offense, Shano, <laughs> but like, That's I okay. like seeing women. So, so I would say no person is an island. See a functional medicine provider who's going to take you seriously. Right. Um, so the first thing is you can go it alone up to a certain point. So you can do an elimination diet yourself. You can play around with like, oh, what do I feel good on? You know, do I like taking vitamin D? Do I feel good with vitamin B? But there comes a point where you really need support. Don't do it alone. Mm. Have help. Be, be in partnership with someone who can really walk through this because the adrenals, I'm sorry, the gut doesn't live in isolation of what I'll call the Holy Trinity, which is not religious at all, except I used a religious term, but your adrenals, your liver, and your gut 
are in a completely beautiful dance. So if your adrenals are off, your gut's off. If your liver's off, your gut's off. If your liver's off, your adrenal's off. They, they all implement with each other. They all hmm. impact. So you really need help to deal with that and, and hack into that because if your adrenals are off, it's going to shut your digestion down. So now you're like, what's wrong with my digestion? Well, it's not really your digestion. It's your adrenals. You got to go upstream. Hmm. So, and for women, if the vagina is out of whack, I always say to them, you're not going to like me, but we got to look at your gut. Hmm. You know, they're, they're like, my period's about, I'm like, cool, let's look at your gut. They're like, okay, she didn't listen. I'm like, no, no, I did. I swear. Hmm. But your gut runs your body. It's like the central control, like you mentioned with immune system and, and everything immune system, mood, absorption of nutrients, everything. Gut brain function relates to your gut. So you need, you really need to work with someone. That would, that would be my bottom line. I could have just said that in three words, but no, 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 really we're, we're not no, we're not pressed for time. This is that that's perfectly fine. Well, let's take it one step further. What are the tenets of searching? What are the features of a integrated doctor or a holistic doctor? You know, how do you find a good one? Yeah. Oh, I love that question. Okay. So let's distinguish what what each one means. So an integrative pr- practitioner, let's be broad. An integrated practitioner is someone who says, okay, I believe that there are other modalities that can make a difference here. So they're including massage or acupuncture into their referral system. So they're not necessarily holistic and they're not necessarily functional. They're looking at just, in, they're inclusive. Mm. Let's say integrative is inclusive. Holistic is looking for root cause, but may not do functional medicine and may not do integrative care. So mm. what, what you're, and then functional medicine, the premise is let's get to the root cause of it, figure out what's going on and fix the root cause. You can have a functional medicine doctor who's also not integrative. So, so you have to decide what do you need the most, right? Do you, do you, do you already know the problem and now you just need someone to support you? That would be an integrative doc. Or are you still not completely sure what the problem is? Or have you been so burned by the system that you're never going back? You've, you've discovered functional medicine. It's like mana from having, you're like, that's it. I'm never going back. So, and then I would say how you find the provider. If you're looking for a functional medicine provider, you go to ifm.org and look, they have a option for search near me. So you can, you can see what's available. COVID's there's, there's upsides to everything, right? So COVID, um, I've been able to say to my kids, sorry, I can't get your favorite brand of sugary cereal, right? I've, I've weaned them off that because, sorry, it's a supply chain issue. I can't yeah. get it. <laughs> Oops. Uh, but then another upside is that telemedicine's made it much more accessible. So if you find a provider who takes your insurance or who is willing to do telemedicine, you can see them remotely and not travel 500 miles if you live somewhere that doesn't have an active uh, base of providers. So that would be my top. I mean, I will always vote for functional medicine over anything because you really want to get down to the root cause of it yeah. and not and not just gloss over it. Yeah, yeah, that lands home I, with with the listeners here who who vibe with that. And and you know, we 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 talk really frequently about customization and how it has to be for you. You can't yeah. it has to be not only just for you, but for where you are right now, not yep. a year ago or two years ago, because something may have happened uh, that, that's, mm-hmm. that sent some of your, you know, your, your organ systems out of whack. Well, I want to make a transition then from, thank you for allowing me to pick your brain uh, around, around celiac and gluten uh, sensitivity. Cause uh, I think, I think most of us have issues with it. Yeah. Um, so 
let's move to the sort of a, I want to say more specific before we go broad. Um, when it comes to heavy metal toxicity, um, how pervasive is that? How many people do you think have it or deal with it? So, uh, so Sean, we wrote this book because when I figured out all these toxins, I said to my husband, I am such a dirty girl. And then I was like, <laughs> oh, we got to write that book because I'm the poster child for healthy living and I have freaking heavy metals. So, uh. so having said that I'm old, right? I'm 51. And so I was, I'm in that generation. Who you don't, I've said, for those of you who are not watching on YouTube. How could you, you not be watching Sean's podcast? You, well, they may be listening and they can't see you, but you do not look 51. Please continue. Right. That's where he goes, you look 60. No, no. <laughs> look 40. Well, thank you. It's yeah. my easy lifestyle, apparently. Writing <laughs> <laughs> authorship. So simple, right? Yeah. So thank you. Um, so basically if you are, let, let's sort of, oh, I'm all flustered by the compliment. <laughs> so let, let's drill into this. If you were born after the year 2000 and you lived in a house that was built after 1984, which never had any water exposure and you were not nursed, because when a woman nurses or breastfeeds, she's giving all of her toxins as a generous donation to her child. It's a detox event for her and, and it's a retox event for kids, for babies. So if you were born after 2000 and you don't have any exposures and there's no mercury fillings anymore and you're not eating a lot of sushi, so there's a lot of requirements, right? So if you fall into that really winnowed down group, then you probably don't have heavy metals because you're not getting exposed as much as people who are older. And I would say 1986 to 2000 is like the, the gap generation because a lot of them lived in homes that were built. So if you, so the homes built before 1976 almost universally contained lead in the, in the paint. Mm. And everybody says to me, I never lick the, lick the windowsills. I'm like, no shit, Sherlock. Of course mm. you're not licking the windowsills. But as the house settles and the houses inevitably settle, every joist that's occurring in the house, you know, every place that there's a connection, it's grinding. And that lead dust gets into the air on the floor. You breathe it, you eat it, you touch it, you absorb it. So if you live in an older house, you're getting exposed to lead. Now, people are like, oh, we renovated it. I was like, oh, great. Did you mm. live there while you renovated it? Mm. Because you cut into those walls, you're releasing lead dust. So any renovation, you know, people who are in construction, I'm always like, you got to be tested because especially if you're in construction and you're pulling down old homes, if you're there on site, you're getting that lead dust and you're breathing it in, you're touching it. So exposures for people who are on the older side for lead involve lead pipes, lead paint in homes or construction. Those are the big ones. And then mercury, you know, there was a sushi craze. Everyone discovered tuna belly and that fatty tuna belly is exactly where all the mercury is stored. And so um, I was reading some study. This is the only thing I'll quote you on studies that I was reading <laughs> one that said that they looked at the amount of mercury contained in, in California in one of the uh, sushi restaurants. And basically the, the one serving, like one hand roll of, of, the, of the tuna belly contained more mercury than you should be eating for like a whole six months. It was something Whoa. ridiculous, right? And people are like, I only eat it once a week or every other week. I'm like, oh, 
it's too much. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. So back to your question of like, who has it? If you're, if you're my generation, you're younger than me, right? You're, you're. Yeah. 38, 1983. Okay. So, so if you're my generation, not only did we get our parents' exposures because we were, we were nursed, a lot of us were breastfed. So our parents all had it. Then we grew up in homes that had lead. We were of the generation that discovered sushi. We were of the generation where microwaves came and we used plastic to microwave the foods and we have leftovers that were microwaving. So in our, my generation, it was, it, it was, um, there were a lot of exposures and a lot less knowledge. It was kind of free. Some ways it was great. It was free. You know, I mean, like I walked down to the store and no, and at like 12, nobody said anything. <laughs> I would never let my kids do that now, but, but it, in some ways we got a lot more exposure. So when you, as you start to transition into the earlier ages uh, or younger ages, they have fewer exposures because things are more regulated, but they're still getting a lot of environmental toxins. They just might not be getting the, the lead hmm. and the mercury. It might be less depending on how much sushi they eat, whether they were nursed and what kind of home they live in. Hmm. How would someone know if they have metal toxicity? It might not be specific for metals, but there are a few things where people, where people walk in and I'm like, oh, I think you have metals. So uh, if someone's lost all the hair on their body, it's called um, alopecia. If, if you have full-on body alopecia and it's gotten to that point, then you probably have metals. That's, that's one of those where we go, we, you've got metals. We got we to evaluate you. The other ones are more subtle because there's a lot of crossover with how they look with the other toxins because there's only, there's only so many reactions the body can have. You know, you know it's not like the body only does this pathway for this toxin and only that for that toxin. So metals and mycotoxins and environmental toxins can all give you eczema, psoriasis, rashes. They can, a lot of them uh, can trick you into autoimmune disease. So it, it's a little hard to suss out, but, but when you go back a step and someone walks in and says, I'm doing everything right. I eat everything perfect for my body. I get enough sleep. I'm not a stress ball. I de-stress. I exercise. I do, I do sauna or Epsom salt baths or whatever. I do everything right. And I can't lose my weight. Can't get rid of it. Whatever. I can't fix X. Then I go, okay, it's probably a toxins issue. Cause you, your gut's perfect. Your adrenals are great. You've done all the, the foundational work. Mm -hmm. That's when it's really time to bump it up to toxins. Interesting. Or, or heavy metals, whatever, however you want to look at it. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's good to know. What, what, what's the specific test to determine metal toxicity? There's a bunch on the market. I really like doctor's data because it's straightforward. The, when we do it, we measure your baseline metals and the test is $69. So it's cheap. So oh. we measure your baseline metals, like what's floating around. And then we give you a medicine that the compounding pharmacy puts together called DMSA. And that provokes metals to come out and binds to them so you can measure it. And we do the same test after, after doing the provoking agent. Mm. And so I like that because one, we get the baseline, then we compare and we can track it over time. And it's not a, a huge lift financially to do the repeat testing. You know, it's not that expensive. So anytime we treat, we test just so we can have a, have a one-to-one -one correlation of what difference is this making for you? Oh, that's great. What a great resource that is. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you need a provider for that. You can't just order it on yourself. You need a, you need a functional medicine provider. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, these people know what to ask for. Yeah. 
So let's talk about some of the other toxicities. Um, you know, back I remember back when uh, you know when Dave Asprey really sort of burst onto the scene um, when he went on Joe Rogan to talk about mold and coffee, um, yep. uh, mycotoxins, and it was this gigantic hullabaloo. And then he talked about you know how he was you know lived in a moldy home and had black mold and all that stuff. And and I think. I think for me, that was sort of the indicator that it had reached sort of a, uh, a cultural awareness. Yeah. Um, and now, but I, but I think there's still so many questions about um, what types of people, what sort of areas geographically, what sort of lifestyles, who, who's susceptible to mold toxicity? Uh, that's genetic too. Mm. So there, there are people who have no sensitivity to mold. I'm not related to them. Yeah, I'm not either. I'm not either. <laughs> so, so that's definitely genetic. And and this is a huge question. So let's parse it out. So places in the so let's just do you have do you have international listeners? Yes, we do. Okay, so uh, like London is super super moldy. A lot of the buildings are moldy. In the United States, any place that has a wet climate is moldy. Or let's just flip it to like. Arizona, New Mexico, if you have a mold issue, that's awesome to live there because it's dry, hmm. right? The, the dry, more arid desert places are great to live in if you have a mold issue. I live in Massachusetts. And so we sometimes, the, the rainy season, so April and September are typically when people go crazy with environmental molds because it rains and there's a lot of rain in April. And then in September, there's uh, leaves on the ground. So when it rains, it gets moldy and people go nuts. So those are the two big times in Massachusetts people tend to flare. Wow. But if if you live in an old home with a with a uh, like a dirt basement, it's often pretty moist, and that le- can lead to mold. If you've had water damage in your home, again, I live in Massachusetts. The winter of 2015, we had snowmageddon. We had like I don't know 12 to 15 feet of snow in the season, and people had ice dams which broke open the roof and then they had water sort of flowing into their homes. Mm. And if it wasn't remediated properly, then you have mold in your home and you're getting exposed ongoingly. You can get mold exposure. So you can get mold exposure if you live somewhere wet or if the building you're living in is wet. Dorms are wet, schools are wet. Their dorms and schools are often extremely moldy. Hmm. So yeah, that's, it is kind of everywhere, isn't it? I mean, it is. It, I mean, yeah. You you mentioned you know if you're in Arizona or New Mexico, you're you're better off. But it it really does. It, it I'm in Western Washington State, and it, it's everywhere. It's and you, yeah, you know. Um, so I've heard it sometimes even explained like opening the door and walking in the house with stuff on your feet or t- you know hands working outside in the garden, then coming inside and not washing your hands and touching the walls and stuff can put spores kind of all over the place. It's now, harder for that. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. It, I, I think the, I think the general point was, is that especially if you live in, in moisture climates, you're very much more likely to have, um, to have issues with it. Yeah. Um, here comes the, predictable next question. How do you test for whether or not you have mold toxicity? I love this question. So, so let's, let's separate out. You can test your home or your, or your office or your car, whatever you think is moldy. I was just talking to someone about all those floods in, in like New Orleans and Florida, when the cars get submerged, 
you don't want to have those cars. You know? mm. And so I was just sort of debating because I don't want to buy a car. I don't want to buy a new car because I don't like the off gassing from all the chemicals, right, right? But I don't want to buy a car that's used just in case it came from a moldy area and it's moldy. And then I get the exposure. <laughs> like what's yeah, better here? Right. You right. know, there's one of those, it's almost better to get the new car and have it off gas than think you're fine in a car that has mold and, and get sick because you don't know it. So I'm not sure what the right answer is, but Okay, back to your question. So you can test any area and it depends how much money you want to spend. So if you want to sort of do a quick, I don't want to spend a lot of money. I just want to see if I should worry. Home Depot has mold testing kits and Mm. they used to be 10 bucks. They might be more now in COVID because of supply chain challenges, but they, they were 10 bucks. So they're a reasonably low lift in terms of putting them around your home and looking to see what grows or doesn't grow, hopefully. If you know that you have something wrong, you've already done those, or you're like, I need the best in class, then you're going to want to have an air quality expert come in, test your home for pollutants, mycotoxins, uh, any any other, you know, VOCs, you're going to want them to do a full evaluation. Mm-hmm. And that usually runs, you know, five to $800, depending on where you live. I have a patient who paid $2,000. They also supervised the remediation though. So it depends what you're paying for. Mm-hmm. So you can test the areas and then you can test yourself. So you might say, oh, like I know when I was in college, I lived in a moldy dorm. I know when I, after college, I lived in a moldy house, but those are remote, you know, those are years ago. So are they still impacting me? You can test to see what's in your system now. And that's a urine test. My favorite one is uh, Great Plains because you can also do the test for environmental toxins, which is like gasoline fumes, plastics, beauty products, styrene, all the pesticides, and then add on glyphosate. So you can do a ton of testing in one little urine sample, which is great. And that test tends to be, uh, at least on our practice, it's $2.99. So it's, it's more expensive than the metals, but it'll test for like 12 different mycotoxins. Mm. And then what you want to say is, okay, how relevant are they? So a lot of people come up for ochratoxin because ochratoxin is in the food we're eating. You know, any grain is usually contaminated. The coffee's contaminated. So we tend to get a lot of exposure for mycotoxins. And so that one, if it's mildly elevated and you're, and you're okay, I might not go crazy over it. But if you have some of the weirder ones, like gliotoxin, aflatoxins, or alanone, if you have some of the weirder ones, then we're going to go, okay, that's real. Let's make sure you're not getting exposed in your home or your office. I had a patient Mm. whose car was moldy. She said, Mm. I think my car is moldy. So she had the guy out to test her house. And she said, could you do me a favor and just check out my car? And he did. And he was like, yeah, your car is moldy. Mm. Get rid of it. So she did. So you can test yourself too, to see what's, what are you harboring? What are creepy? It is super creepy. It's super yeah. creepy. I mean, it's enough to it's enough to make anybody really paranoid about toxins. And and we live in my house. And again, this stuff that we've talked about really frequently. We've had um, uh, Dr. Anthony J uh, come in. He's he you know talks all about you know estrogenic chemicals and and toxic mm-hmm. exposure inside the house and phthalates and aromas and and so. Um, but this is next level because this this stuff can be systemic. It can hurt you yeah. in very subtle ways over very long periods of time. Yes. And it's not necessarily something that you would think to check. What are some of the symptoms from um, a mold, mold toxicity issue? 
So they can mimic, they can mimic the same things for the lead. Mm. So, and what's really interesting, you can have like these biofilms. So the gut can be disrupted from either the metals or the mycotoxins. You can have skin rashes. Uh, hair loss is more for the metals, but you can have some from the mycotoxins, weight gain, difficulty losing weight, um, brain fog. You know, uh, Dale Bredesen has written, it's a ph yeah. it's a phenomenal book, The End of Alzheimer's. Yeah. And it really draws a straight line between all of these different toxins and one type of Alzheimer's so that there's the, there's the toxic Alzheimer's. So the end result can be dementia, but autoimmune disorder, Hashimoto's, pretty much anything that jacks the immune system hmm. is going to lead for whatever your way of manifesting that is. So autoimmune diseases are pretty popular, common, not popular. Um, osteoporosis is lead. Mycotoxins, mycotoxins are funny ones. I, I tend to think of them more about rashes, difficulty losing weight, and brain fog. I tend to think of that. But I also think of it when someone has I'll call it irritable gut after doing everything right. Hmm. Uh, and I'll share with you, I started the mycotoxins removal in April of 2019, May of 2019. And over the summer of 2019, I noticed that when I got a gluten exposure, I mean, I used to be down for the count, six to 12 weeks, brain fog, gut irritability, emotional. I mean, I, I never ate out because it was wow. so disruptive. Oh and I, really can't, I can't afford to be off my game like that. So I never ate out. But sometimes I'm like, oh, okay, I'll try a little bit. How bad could it be, right? And then I'm like, oh yeah, it was bad. But I started to notice over that summer that instead of having six to 12 weeks of gut dysfunction and brain fog, what I was having was like, two weeks and then it became 10 days. And then now two and a half years, almost yeah, two and a half years later, I'm down to six to 12 hours of discomfort. My poker tell for when I get a gluten exposure is I get bitchy. And my husband's like, how would I know the difference? And I'm like, really, really? Did you just say that to your wife? <laughs> like ways not to, ways not to what? Okay. I'm not going to go there, but so I get bitchy and I get a headache and then I have diarrhea and then I'm done. I have some fatigue, but I'm down to like six to 12 hours from six to 12 weeks. And that was a side effect of treatment of all the toxins that I just would never have expected because I worked on my gut for 14 years before I got into toxins. Wow. And, and now I'm like, oh, so there's all these layers, you know, treat the celiac, treat the candida, fix the microbiome, but then take away the stuff that's irritating the gut and the gut will respond. So there's all these sort of subtle things that people will find that they didn't really think about until it went away and related to their treatment. Yeah. Well, and what you've just alluded to there is, is a sort of compounding issue that people may experience mm -hmm. where, you know, maybe it's, it's a gluten sensitivity, but you also, you know, you also have some issues with metals yeah. uh, and you also have mold exposure from college that's still kind of screwing with you. Yep. And those sorts of things you just don't think about. You just, you, you can't, tough to know, tough to measure, you know, being bitchy can be a bunch of different things, but <laughs> wait a minute. Oh, that's right. I did have some pretzels, you know, like, but no, 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 no. I never have pretzels. <laughs> it's like I ate out and ate off of their silverware. That's like my level wow. of exposure is. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really pretty. So, We're not talking about taking gluten on purpose. We're talking about like, maybe it was, it was on the same cutting board and it was washed, but there were some particles. It's really a low exposure. How long have you been 
super diligent about minimizing gluten exposure? Uh, since my husband's functional medicine mentor said to me, you have celiac. I was like, okay, well, that was fun while it lasted. I'm mm. not eating that anymore. How long ago? How long ago was it? I was 35. So that was 16 years ago. And since then you've, you've, you've taken drastic measures to reduce exposure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the minute I was diagnosed, I said to my husband, look, the world isn't organized around my needs. And so, yeah. and that's fair, but if I can't eat it, we're not going to serve it. I'm not, I refuse to be left out in my own home. Sure. Because if someone in my house couldn't eat it, I would never serve it. I, I would never be like, oh, screw you. You, you can't eat it. Sorry, we're going to eat it. I would never do that. So mm. I said, I'm not going to be left out in my own home. We're not going to serve it. We're not going to have it in the house. Outside the house, do whatever you want. But if you have gluten, don't kiss me. Mm. So because it got pretty clear pretty fast that I was really sensitive because I had been such a mess for 20 years. You know, we're mm. not talking about a year. We're talking since I was 15, I was messed up. And to finally get a diagnosis was magical. Wow. So I instantly went gluten-free and it wasn't even a question. It was like, we're, I'm just not going to eat this period. So 16 years ago, I was diligent from that moment on. When you think about, so now I have a question. This is a parenting question. Um, yeah. So I totally respect that resolve. I absolutely do. And I, and I think you, you should make those lifestyle design is important. And if you cave on this thing, you'll cave on that thing. If you make exceptions here, you're going to, you're going to compromise there. When, uh, so uh, at your house and the food that you eat and the food, the snacks that you have and the stuff that you have at your house with your, with your children now having way less exposure to gluten in their younger years, are they more likely, you know, you're nodding because you know this going, are they going to be more likely to have gluten sensitivity that's going to wreck them in their teens or twenties or later? Well, so we figured out I had celiac when I had a two-year-old and a newborn mm. and we said, okay, no gluten in the house, but my two-year-old was just starting pre preschool, like, you know, three days a week. And then my next child went. So for the next, um, three years, they got gluten at preschool only and, and, or if we went out and by the time they were three and five, or maybe it was four and six, it was somewhere around that time. We went out to dinner at the Greek place and my daughters had a couple bites of my stepfather's rice that had a gravy on it. Now, look, if it has gravy, it's got gluten because yeah. they have to yeah. thicken it somehow. So they're using, they're using wheat flour. 99% of the time it's wheat flour. So I, I knew it was gluten. I didn't eat any, but my daughters had some, we get in the car, we drive home and on the car ride home, they're like, Oh, we have a stomach ache. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? We get home, they run in the house. Now they're little. And the two of them, I think they were three and five. Cause they were still both really little. They were on the same toilet. Oh, sitting back to back having oh. diarrhea. Oh. And I looked at my husband and I went, Ooh, they're gluten sensitive. Ah. It was really clear, you know, so they were already sensitive by the time they were not even in kindergarten. Wow. Um, yeah. They must've been three and five because they were both still in preschool together. And so uh, we have very powerful genes in my family, uh -huh. apparently. Yeah. So they, they got the bad one. They were already gluten sensitive before they even went to kindergarten. So they were pretty easy. And I kind of have two generations of kids because my third child was born when my daughter was three. So I've, at the time it was, you know, five, three, and then a newborn. 
And so by that point, in that middle point, we figured out, oh, I have two genes for celiac because I'm a genetic overachiever. Remember, my parents never should have had children because <laughs> they each gave me a copy of all the bad stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I knew I had two copies of, of the celiac gene. So that means by, by default, every kid got one. You know, that was like my genetic contribution to my children is to give them a celiac gene and a bad methylating gene mm. and a vitamin D deficiency gene. Those are like my contribution to them. So we knew before the third and fourth, like, oh shit, we really shouldn't be giving anybody gluten. So the littles, that's what we call them, the littles, because like the second generation, we said, okay, that's it. Nobody's getting gluten in mm. or out of the house because clearly it's nasty. And by the way, my dad has celiac. My brothers have celiac. Uh, I think other family members who haven't been tested, who shall remain nameless, have celiac. Mm -hmm. My cousins have gluten sensitivity. So it's, it's, you know, we're one of those like overachieving in a bad way families. Mm. So we, um, we know how bad it was in our family. So we just said, that's it. You can't have it. Yeah. So, but it is an exposure based illness. The more you eat it, the more likely you are to develop a problem if you have the genetics. So the less you eat it, the less likely you are to develop it because you're gotcha. not you're not you're not triggering, you're not challenging. Okay, I guess I guess the thought, and maybe this is just naive, but I was thinking that some little exposure when they're young might prepare their bodies later. You know, I think is that just yeah. sort of a sort of a silly myth that people think. No, it's not silly. It's just misplaced. It's it's perfect for things like peanut allergies mm. that, that it's been shown that maybe if you expose kids to a little bit of peanuts when they're really young and just a tiny bit that, for example, Israel has no peanut allergies and yet they eat these bomba peanut snacks constantly, even give it to their little ones. So that's where the research started of, okay, maybe if you give kids a little bit of what they're allergic or potentially going to develop an allergy to, mm. but gluten is not necessarily going to make you stop breathing. It'll just torture you. Yeah. So it's a different allergy pathway. That's huh. the problem. It's not, it's not wrong to think that it's just the wrong pathway. It doesn't work for gluten. Oh, that's so great. Thank you for clarifying that for me. Yeah, no, I'm glad you asked. Cause that's a great question. So, um, the way that I am sort of understanding your story and, you know, the motivation to write the book is that you, you were N of one, you know, you had all of these exposures, you had all these trials and tribulations in your sort of journey. What, what inspired you to write the book and what, what can people, what can women expect from, to, to get from Dirty Girl? And it's for men too. I just, okay. we debated that man. When we were doing the title, it was like, we don't want to exclude the guys. We love the men and they have the same problems, but it's my story. So we're going to call it Dirty yeah, Girl. Yeah. Although I couldn't really see a guy on the, on the train holding a copy of Dirty Girl. Yeah. <laughs> couldn't quite <laughs> visualize it. But um, anyway, so what inspired me was two things. One, I, I really have an extremely overall, extremely healthy life. I think I'm more stressed than I should be, but that's, you know, I have four kids and I work for myself. So Okay. That's the nature of the beast, but I live this really healthy life and I have all these toxins. And so if someone like me, who's, I really consider myself to be the poster child for healthy living. If I have that, what does everyone else have? Who's mm. not necessarily as far down the path as I am in terms of taking care of themselves. So that was one motivation. And then we've wanted to write a book for years, but every topic we hit on was so 
damn boring, but this is interesting. This is like, okay, I got fat, a rash and lost my hair. That's an interesting story. Like that catches your attention. Cause I'm not fat. I got hair and I don't have a rash. Like that's like, Oh, okay. You can see a to B there. And so it's really impactful for people when they start to peel off the toxins and get and clean up, it's never going to be a no tox life. It's like, how do you decrease your exposure and level up, iterate and level up and iterate and level up. And that's mm. just the process. You keep leveling up and keep exploring. Just mm. being curious. I love that. That's at the heart of, and I don't know if you like the term, you know, biohacking or not, but that, that's really at the heart of it is to understand yourself and this idea of what goes in you on you and around you. You took my word. Did you wait? Did you take that from me? Or is that your like? No, that was that was actually taken from Stephen Izell, who who (sighs) makes uh, non toxic uh, soaps. That's what I say to people. In you, on you, and around you. Yeah. Okay, he and I are kindred spirits, and so are you and I. Okay, perfect. Sorry, like, I didn't mean to interrupt you. That process of figuring out what works best for you, what yep. your sensitivities are, and even for someone like yourself who's on the ball and focused and has over time, you know, established and created a lifestyle that would lead to health and performance. Yeah. Um, there's still blind spots. I mean, there's there always yep. going to be blind spots for each of us all the time. And so testing, iterating, understanding, iterate again, what, what have I go through the hard part? The hard part often, I think for me and for other people too, is, is that it it can make you a little crazy. You know, you can, yeah. Like let's step back. Okay. So, so I screw shit up all that time. Okay. I was so proud when I got this new laundry detergent. It was good for the earth. It came in these little dissolvable packs. It had no sense. I was so psyched. And then like eight months later, I went, oh shit, I never looked on EWG to see if that was good. And I went to EWG.org and I looked it up and I was like, oops. Hmm. Oh, and my autofill just came. Hmm. Okay then. So look, you're, it is totally crazy making. <laughs> totally. So here's what I'm going to say. The Great Wall of China was not built in a day, a year. I think it took like, I don't know, what, 20 years to build the Great Wall of China? Yeah. So consider yourself like a work in progress. And, yeah. and when you screw it up, it's going to make for good stories. I, I said to my coach, oh my God, I can't believe I screwed that up. She goes, no, now you have a great story for people because you're all about having compassion for your humanity. And yeah. I really am like, like, okay, I still have my mercury. I'm like confession. Forgive me, Shano. I have sinned. I still have my mercury fillings in my mouth. They're coming out in February. Oh, good for you. Yeah. I was really reluctant to do it because I didn't see the impact. And I didn't think that something that was 40 years old would still be having the impact it is, but it is. I can't keep saying, I seem to get rid of my mercury in my mouth, in my body. So clearly this, this, four fillings is really impactful. Mm-hmm. So, so you're, it can be overwhelming. And when you're looking at how do I level up? Don't pick your whole house in your whole life. Pick one thing, pick the thing you're running out of. You're running, you know, you're running mm. oh, now. This is for the women. You're running out of your under eye cover up. Great level up. My two favorite brands are mineral fusion and beauty counter. I love them to pieces. They're EWG certified. Go pick those right level up. And keep doing that until over the course of what, 
I mean, I've been in this process two and a half years, almost three years. I'm still working on it. It's a process as opposed to, it's not like a hockey game where it's like start to finish and there's a winner. Hmm. It's really not like that. It's yeah. like you're in the game of life and the goal is be better this week than you were last week in some way. And it doesn't have to be huge because over the course of a year, those 52 improvements are 52 improvements. Celebrate nice. everything. You know? That's wonderful. I love that. I, I like starting with the things that you're running out of the products that that's, easy. that's huge. If everybody did that and decided, mm-hmm. okay, you know, detergent cosmetics, um, you know, foodstuffs, bedding, all of that, mm-hmm. you know, if you can just, and, and if you, for people that don't know what EWG is, can you explain mm-hmm. that yeah. resource for them? Cause I think it's powerful. Yeah, it's great. It was, I think, started by a researcher who just loves diving into, is this really good for me or bad for me? And it's called the Environmental Working Group, ewg.org. And they do the research on, you know, you look at those ingredients and I have all these good intentions. I'm like, oh, I should look that ingredient up. I have the brain space of a two-year-old. I'm not going to look that up. Mm-hmm. Not going to do that. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I don't know. Is it good? I've been greenwashed, right? It looks good. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's not good. Go to ewg.org. They're going to tell you if it's good or not. You know, if it's big enough product, it's going to be reviewed. So you can go A to B say, is this product good? Or you can go B to A saying, I'm looking for this type of product. What do you recommend? That's great. When I was like, I need a new hair product because what I have isn't good. So where do I go from here? So I went sort of backwards into it to, to look up products. So I think it's great. There's also Think Dirty, which is an app that you can use to look up different products. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, and be careful of greenwashing. You know, I get snookered all the time because I'm <laughs> like, oh, that looks great. <laughs> yeah. And it's not great. And then there's just one or two things in there that, you know, yeah. not Oops. so good. Oops. Uh, th- I've really enjoyed this conversation and, and it's, we, you know, we've, we've dived into a couple of different topics that I think are really useful, useful for people. We've given them some things that they can do, some specific tests, some ways to think about it. Um, uh, before I ask the final question, which is a fill in the blank question specifically designed to catch you off guard. Oh, uh, I was going to say, give me a hint. Yeah, I can't, I can't. <laughs> Apparently uh, not. Where can people find you? Where can they follow you on social media and where can they get the book? That's a lot of questions. So thank goodness my brain is working today. So they can find, so it depends if they want my practice, which is fivejourneys.com and that's five spelled out. So F-I-V-E journeys, plural.com. And then my Instagram is Wendy Trubo MD. And my Facebook is also Wendy Trubo MD, just because I couldn't remember all these different handles. So they're all the same. And then our practice is five journeys health on Instagram. And I also think that's on, uh, on Facebook too. And then we also, is this the time to offer something to your listeners? Yes, you please. Later? Yeah, no, please break yeah. that down for us. So, so you really highlighted, Sean, that, that it can be overwhelming when you start to look at how do I clean up my life? And, and reminder, you're not going to clean up your life overnight. You're just going to start leveling up on whatever you're running out of. But my team has done a boatload of, of research on, okay, what's the best mattress? What's the best furniture? What's the best beauty product? What are those best in class things? that are safe. And so we put it together all in a guide that normally, you know, if you land on our website, you can buy the guide, but if you land on your podcast, you get it for free. So it's, it's fivejourneys.com forward slash promo P R O M O. And that gets you the detox guide for free. You just have to put in your email and then 
we send it out to. Awesome. Yeah. So that's that. And then oh, I've totally lost the plot. What was the other part of the question? No, that was it. I teased the fill in the blank question. You're good. No, that was, that was oh, money. Phew. Thank you for, thank you for offering that for free because yeah. we do need, we do need resources. We need solutions. We need ideas. We do. We yeah. really do. So this is the last question and it's a fill in the blank. And this can be based on anything that you know, and it doesn't have to be specific to the book or to your work or whatever. It can just be um, general if you wish. And you can take as long or as little time as you want to uh, fill in the blank, which is everyone would benefit from knowing. I'm completely flummoxed. Everyone would benefit from knowing how impactful it is to, to level up on your health. And everyone would benefit from knowing the difference it makes to even start with food and put amazing food into your body because the impact is profound. And everybody would benefit from knowing how much they're loved because they really are. Mm, that's wonderful. Thank you. Dr. Wendy Trubo, thank you so much for joining me today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on.